Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast. And I'm going to tell you what to expect in today's episode, and I think you're going to, you know, potentially get some life-changing mind mindset shifts in this episode. This is an episode where I sat down with Dr. Julia King, a fellow psychologist who I met online because she also has an online program, and uh, she writes blog posts about anxiety, body image, disordered eating, and uh, she and I have are very aligned with how we think about these things. And so I, I had her on to talk about some really, really crucial topics. So we talk about how anxiety and avoidance are really underlying most of our struggles with eating, weight, body image, disordered eating. And it's really, really essential that you get curious and dig deeper if you want to have long-term relief from these symptoms or from this struggle, however you want to think about it. Because it's really about, if there's one thing that I've always really been about, it's about making sure that people are empowered with the information that actually helps them long-term. And to help yourself long-term, you need to understand root cause of what is underlying the behavior, whether it's over-focused on um, controlling your body size, or if you're like me or many people, you really think you're doing the healthy thing for yourself, but you're still caught in this ineffective diet cycle. You're still going up and down, and you're just not really sure why. This episode, I think, is going to really highlight some things that maybe you never thought about, that there might be there, there very likely is something you're avoiding. We all avoid. We all avoid discomfort. So Dr. King and I talk about this book that she got pretty obsessed with and that I then got pretty obsessed with, and it truly has changed the way that I think about my life and how I spend my time in an incredibly freeing, empowering, liberating way. And I am so excited for you to dive in, listen to these crucial topics, and hopefully help you to uncover 
when we all avoid, but being able to uncover and, and name it when it happens and make an empowered choice about how you want to cope moving forward or how you want to perhaps turn towards that discomfort moving forward to live the life you were meant to live, to you know, really embrace and utilize the time that you have in this life in the way that feels best to you. So I am so excited to bring this conversation to you. I can't wait for you to listen in. I'd love to hear your thoughts after this episode. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Remember the old diet advice, like when the urge to eat strikes, just take a walk or have a glass of water. Usually, you're just thirsty, not hungry. If you're anything like me, these suggestions make you want to punch the magazine or the person who said it in the face. So many suggestions to just stop emotional eating are based in diet culture. They're based in the notion that you know what to do, just do it. And I'm here to tell you that changing behavior is hard. We as humans are wired for comfort and disrupting a pattern of emotional eating is challenging and at the same time you absolutely can do it and you can learn to prefer it however to get started with disrupting this pattern we need to feel understood we need to then take small consistent actions in the direction of our goals so we're going to leave these super patronizing suggestions at home and get some actual suggestions for simple, fun things to do when the urge to eat strikes when you know you are not hungry. So for some actual suggestions for this, I have a new free actionable guide. This is a one-page PDF you can pull up at any time with 23 things to do instead of eating, complete with links to videos, fun, inspiring songs, and many different ideas to disrupt the pattern and take a small step towards empowerment and towards that confident person that you deserve to be. So grab the guide absolutely free at drhondorp.com forward slash guide. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P forward slash guide to start ditching the shoulds and regaining confidence in yourself today. All right, welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. We have a really special guest and a special conversation today that I am truly very excited to dive into. I have my internet friend and colleague, Dr. Julia King here to talk about anxiety, body image, and really some pretty crucial topics. So welcome, Julia. So glad to have you here. Thanks. It's so fun to have this conversation with you. It is going to be fun. I think so. <laughs> yeah. So before we dive into the very important topics we have today, let's just have you share with us a bit about you, some of your story, and how you came to doing the work that you do. Yeah. So I have a little bit of a um, complicated road to get here. I, I'm a psychologist, and I um, started out as a forensic psychologist and had a very clear path Um, as an undergrad, I wanted to be a forensic psychologist. So I chose a program that allowed me to do that. And then, um, you know, crafted my 
um, journey to be a forensic psychologist. And then I became one and then I was one in private practice. And then I did that work for a solid 10 years and built a really thriving practice. Um, and I, I never got to a place where I didn't enjoy that work. Um, but I think there had always been kind of this, um, little niggling doubt in the back of my mind about other, um, areas that I could explore. And it all kind of came out when I ended up in, um, yoga teacher training. And a lot of people will say this, like they, I, I went into yoga teacher training with absolutely no intention of making a career change of not using that professionally. I just wanted to deepen my own yoga um, knowledge. I love being in school. I like being in a group of people learning things and reading books. And so um, signed on for this eight month um, program and you start meditating regularly every day as part of that training program. You're doing yoga all the time and you're getting still and quiet and you're listening um, for what shows up. And so fortunately I was able to listen to what was showing up and um, there was a lot of stuff that came out, uh, as I went through that program where, as I just started learning about yoga philosophy and how that overlapped with tons of stuff that I had learned in graduate school about, um, how our thoughts and behaviors affect how we feel. And I just started seeing tons of connections. And by the time I finished that program, um, that little doubt in the back of my mind about wanting to do something in addition to forensic work about how to bring some of the things that I had learned for my own well-being, um, which are the specialties that I have today, treating anxiety and body image and emotional eating, um, which are things that I have learned how to overcome and learned how to manage. Um, so it was very inconvenient. I had this very thriving practice professionally, and um, it was awfully inconvenient to make a change um, to do that. But um, it just kind of organically happened that I scaled some of the forensic work back um, took the very brave, scary step of watching a private clinical practice. And, um, and here I am uh, now a full-time therapist. I was never going to be a therapist in graduate school. I was always going to, you know, just work wholly in the, in the world of forensics. And so Which you just so never different. know, oh, you just never know where it's going to take you. Yeah. <laughs> I know you said it was really hard and scary, but like how, I don't know. It seems like you're like, it was hard and scary, but I did it. Like mm-hmm. how, how tell us more about that I want to understand more about that process because that that can have been easy well and I think now in hindsight telling the story it's actually a really lovely story Mm -hmm. when I was going through that not so much right Mm -hmm. because you just have all this um I have lots of clients who are let's say they're a doctor or a lawyer and they've built this career and they have this training and they have this debt from medical school or law school or whatever, right? And they're making a good living and, and they don't want to transition out of that. And there's all these pressures that you feel about what other people are going to think about you if you make a change or um, why would you walk away from this thriving thing to go and do this other thing? And I had always said I was never going to be a therapist. Is it weird now that I go back on that? Like all of that stuff, right? it's like swirling around, you know? Um, so being able to set that aside and listen for what you need and what you want. And, um, you know, it's ironic. What ended up happening is people, some of my forensic colleagues were like, oh my goodness, I wish I could do that. Well, you can, you totally can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it had to have been so hard too. Cause you, you did like it. Like you described that a lot of times, like, it's like, 
it's not that bad. And so many people, there's a lot of normalization of hating your work, right. Mm -hmm. In our culture. And so it's, um, I kind of went through that previously to going off on my own too, because it was like, Oh, it's, it's really not, it wasn't that bad. Like it was, it was okay, but it was like, definitely not what I felt called to do. And it became more and more clear. And it was, it was scary that the stability of it and sunk cost is something that I actually talked about recently on on an episode of why I stopped doing weekly episodes over the summer. And like, you're just, you're invested and you're in it and you've put all this work in and it's so hard. And yet how many years ago was that? Um, I 16, 2016. Okay. And I was fully yeah. out of forensic by 18. Okay. Yeah. Which was not my plan. Right. My thought was to like, just scale the forensic work back and keep it part-time and then um, balance it out with a little bit more of this new stuff that I was excited to explore. Yeah. And one I can talk about later, which I've actually been blogging about recently. It's been my topic kind of for the past month is that concept of allowing And we're going to talk about this a lot today, I think about not trying to control everything. So like allowing that process to happen organically and not having to have all the answers. So I was like, I, you know, I am not really sure what this is going to look like. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, kind of opened this space to ask questions and explore and have conversations and, and see how this thing kind of showed up organically in my life instead of trying to plan it and control it, which is not my way. You know, I mean, like my way up until, you know, had very much been to control and to plan, which is why I had anxiety and why I no longer have anxiety now. You know? Yes. But, um, yeah. So. And why anxiety and body image work? What do you, what do you think called you to pursue that specific, help people specifically with that? Cause I think it's me. You know, like um, the people I work best with are folks who are on the path that I was on or am Mm -hmm. still on, right? Mm -hmm. The things that I, this is, I think another thing we'll probably talk about today is like the things that I know best are the things that I know in my own body. Mm -hmm. And I therefore know how to teach those things really well. I I have clients say all the time, like, how do you know that? How, like, it's a little creepy, right? Are you in my head? (laughs) Because I know, I know how it feels because I've worked with tons of clients who say the same things, but also, you know, I, I know where you are and I know what that feels like, at mm-hmm. least to a degree, right? Everybody's story is unique, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of those things are, I know them in my own soul, in my own mind, in my own body. And I know how to um, work with that and how to overcome that. Right. This is why we get called psychics sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we're not, but can seem like it if we're well aligned with the experience people are having. So, yeah. Well, awesome. So let's talk about the relationship between anxiety and body image, kind of relationship to food struggles. How do you think about these topics and what do you want people to know? Mm -hmm. So I think I'll preface this by saying the way that we're going to talk about anxiety today, I think is a sense of um, fear or dread or uneasiness, right? And the way that I like to educate people about anxiety is that it's very often the perception of a threat of some kind, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about body image or like food can be threatening, um, if you're, if you're trying to lose weight and you feel out of control, right? Mm -hmm. If you have, if you have fear of certain foods, if you have, 
um, fear of certain events where in terms of how you might be perceived. Um, so there's a lot of this fear or dread or uneasiness around that just weaves its way into this whole situation with um, relationship to food, relationship to your body and body image. And again, just this perception of how you're perceived by others. And it just can, for folks who are really struggling with this, um, I think a lot of people that I work with come to me recognizing that they have an unhealthy relationship with food or with, you know, they don't appreciate their body or they hate their body, right? Lots of people tell me that, but they don't realize that a lot of this is, you know, we might clinically kind of perceive it um, as anxiety in the way that I'm describing it now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the way I'm going to talk about anxiety today and kind of how all this stuff fits together is within the model that I work within, which is um, the connection of how your thoughts and behaviors really impact how you feel and how your thoughts and behaviors are actually uh, in an empowered way within your control. And those are the things that we can work to tweak and change to change the way that you feel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of times the way that we think especially about food and about our bodies, if that's um, causing us a lot of distress, are um, not, it's not necessarily rational or it's not necessarily true, right? We're telling ourselves a ton of stuff about food and about our bodies that are not, that's not true. And then that causes us to feel this fear, this unease, this dread, right? Um, so one thing I like to think about is the, the way that we think about that in particular examples that I work with clients all the time is and white thinking. So there, there are good foods and bad foods, right? That's a very clear, like black and white way that we think about food that I can't have X because it's a bad food. Right. And how much distress does that cause us when, you know, we're, it's just, it's very, it can cause a lot of restriction. It can cause a lot of fear of that food and whole categories of foods, right? How we know carbs, carbs are bad. We can't have carbs. And I, I just think that just causes a ton of distress. It's not terribly healthy because you do actually need carbs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's one example of how if you believe that carbs are bad and you then go to, you know, they should have pizza at the office and you're not allowed to have that, then that, ca- that just causes a lot of emotional distress, right? And then you engage in a behavior. And so the behaviors that you engage in Um, A lot of times when we're trying to manage this unease and this fear and this um, stress, um, we're, everything we're doing is to try to shove away those feelings. Um, And so then we say, well, screw it. I'll just eat the pizza, right? Because I don't want to be the weird one eating a salad or, you know, and then you end up feeling badly about eating the pizza because carbs are bad. And it just creates, or I can just get rid of this thought, like, yeah, the anxiety of, am I going to eat it or not? Right. The indecision. And that, that can also be avoidance because people will often say like, I I just like sit with this feeling and I might as well just, and, and then it gets shorter and shorter, right? The avoidance gets shorter and shorter. And then they're like, all of a a sudden I've just eaten it, but it's like, Mm -hmm. your brain has learned. I hate sitting with that, that feeling of indecision. Am I going to eat it or not? And certainly, yeah, the, the good or bad is yeah, very common and diet culture induced. And yes. Yeah. Yeah catastrophizing is another example where we're jumping to the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of times I see that sneak in with the way that people think about what other people are thinking about them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then that leads to decisions that we make, you know, about what we do, where we're thinking about what other people are going to think about us. So then we make decisions about work, what we're going to do 
based on, and maybe our perceptions are wrong. Maybe the assumptions we're making are incorrect, you know, and like how much distress this whole thing causes for us when, um, when you start to realize the way that you think and the decisions that you make have a huge impact on how you feel. Cause a lot of times we just focus on the feeling. That's the thing we see and feel the most is the feeling. And we're trying to reduce the feeling, but the things we're doing to try to reduce the feeling actually make it worse. And we don't see that or realize that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, it all makes sense. It's very interesting to think about like really the over control of food and a lot of these behavioral either dieting, restricting, or binge eating as avoidance of all of this discomfort and all of this distress. I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense and maybe some people see it. I think some situations are more obvious, but it's, uh, I think it's really important to be Mm -hmm. able to highlight like these things are very often, would you say body image concerns and disordered eating is always underlied by some of these things that we're talking about, either anxiety or depression type thinking, or is that too extreme? Um, I'm always, I was just going (laughs) to, I was just going to say, I'm always careful to not use the word always. And I just started that (laughs) off with the word always. Um, I'm hesitant to use, to have, you know, blanket statements like that, but I, I have yet, I have yet um, just speaking within my, my own client base. I have yet to meet a client that is struggling with these issues where these kinds of patterns are not present. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like the, the big thing is, so we're, we're hoping to identify the way that we're thinking and we're talking to ourselves and be able to pull that out and challenge the validity of some of those thoughts. Right. We're also looking to see like, what are we doing that is making, that's making it more difficult for us. And that's actually making those feelings worse. And, and part of what we're doing then when we're tackling those things is to allow that discomfort we're, we're going to stop trying to make it go away, which I think is what you were just speaking to a moment ago. And that's really hard. We don't want to do that. Right. Which is how we get caught up in the cycle. Yes. So it's being in that place where we, you know, we're not hungry, but we want to eat something, but we, but we know we don't actually want to eat that. And it just, you know, if we eat it, we feel some distraction or relief or avoidance of that feeling. And what we want to do is instead say like, why am I, why am I wanting to grab something to eat? Right. Instead, let's sit with this uncomfortable feeling and breathe through it. Right. Kind of ride the wave of that feeling, allow that Mm -hmm. feeling to dissipate. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but that's really, it's difficult. It's really hard. It is. And I want to ask you, like, if we make this sort of um, a specific example, let's say someone was scrolling their phone. They saw an image of a body that makes them feel insecure about themselves. So they see someone's body and they're like, "Ah, I don't look like that. And they look at themselves and they compare, right. They start to feel really bad. Maybe the urge to eat comes up. And like you said, they know they're not hungry. They know they deep down don't really want to eat you. When we look at that, that's probably rooted in like, you know, people are going, it's, I'm not okay, but also like people judge me and as not okay. And that's mm-hmm. a reality for many people, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, you said like, we might be mind reading, but what would you say to someone that they're like, well, that's, but, but Julia, that's true. Like mm-hmm. people do judge me based on my body mm-hmm. size. Then what do they do? Yeah. So a couple things. First, I think we have to recognize that some, you know, what's going on in others, other people's bodies is not necessarily relevant to our body. 
So the fact that that person looks like that in your social media feed does not matter. It's not actually not relevant to what's happening in your body. Right. Um, The other thing is that we are judged by lots of things, right? Our body size, lots of people judged by their skin color. Lots of people judge like all kinds of things. When people take a look at us, they make all kinds of assumptions about us, most of which might be incorrect. Right. But so we're all walking around and we're, and we're all doing that actually too. Right. We can't help it. Like some of that's yeah, in grades. So we're trying to increase too. our awareness around making those implicit biases. Um, but knowing that there are people who are, um, going to think negative things about us if we happen to be in a larger body. And part of it mm-hmm. is accepting that that is true, mm-hmm. accepting that we can't do anything about that, accepting that that does not make us feel great, right? That that doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It's never going to feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then saying like, does it matter what that person thinks? That person's not important to me. That person is not in my inner circle. That person doesn't know me. And we're trying to recalibrate this sense of confidence that we have in ourselves about who we are and not having to change anything about us, even today, right now, right? This very second (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we are okay, exactly as we are. That doesn't mean that we can't have goals and want to aspire to other things, but when we are starting to be able to appreciate that we are okay, where we are right now, then we're able to sit with that discomfort a little bit better. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, just as anyone's listening, like whatever is coming up for you, whether it's interest or, oh gosh, that's me or shame or stress or anxiety, right? Like being able to, because it's so tempting to jump out of that space and rightfully so that's how our brains were designed and it's not serving you. It's keeping you stuck in that cycle. And it's, it's, again, it, it makes a lot of sense. And in many ways, I always thought of my myself as someone who was caught in this cycle. And I always, I never felt like I was significantly depressed or anxious. And yet, like it did always feel like those drivers were sort of driving the, the over control over focus on food. Mm-hmm. Um, like I never really had a hard time, like consistently going to school or going to, but and maybe a little bit, right? Some mild symptoms, but it, it does feel like this is incredibly common. And, but because we focus as a like disordered eating and this thing, we don't actually always look at like, what is going on right before that urge or, mm-hmm. um, and digging that, digging a little bit deeper to understand that real root cause, I think is yeah. essential. Um, so back to your, um, example of like being in that moment when you're scrolling on your phone, mm-hmm. right. But the very first step is starting to increase awareness that seeing that image makes you feel badly about yourself. Yeah. Right. And, um, actually it's ironic. I'm actually doing a, a free five day challenge in July hmm. on how to create joy in your social media feed. Oh, <laughs> because well, I, <laughs> we should all join that. Yeah. Cause I have lots of people that tell me the same thing, right. That they, mm-hmm. we were doom scrolling or we see lots of images that make us feel badly about ourselves. So, so the first thing is recognizing that I'm seeing that and he, and, and what am I thinking when I mm-hmm. see that? And then being able to recognize that I'm thinking I'm gross, I'm insert whatever kind of negative self-talk, right. Mm-hmm. Um, in comparison to that beautiful person on social media and helping to kind of put some limits and some boundaries around how relevant that image is to you, right? Mm-hmm. And recalibrating that relationship with yourself that because we don't want that feeling about something that is not actually 
relevant and important in your life to impact the decisions that you make about what you eat or how you feel about yourself. Yeah. That sounds like yeah. a needed challenge for sure. Yeah. I guess I, yeah. I took the avoidance route. I just don't have it on my phone. So I don't scroll anymore, <laughs> <laughs> which I think in that scenario, maybe avoidance is okay, but <laughs> I, uh, I do still go onto it on my computer sometimes. So that might be a way to set an appropriate limit, right? Yeah. Like it's sometimes we want to great make things, me. yeah. Make things harder that we don't want to be spending time doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's felt like a good option for me, but you know, I think for many people, social media can give them a lot of positive too, especially if we're thinking about seeing a, like, it can be really great to see diverse body sizes and different outfits and different things. And so there's so much good there. So we, if we can learn to use it and utilize it in a, in a positive way, I love the, the joy aspect. So that sounds super cool. We'll have to, we can link to the details for that. Yep. So, um, so, and then you recommended a book to me, 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman, I think is how we pronounce it. And I read, or I listened to it pretty quickly after you recommended it. It was a couple weeks ago now. And it really, like, you were pretty obsessed with this book. And (laughs) and now I'm pretty obsessed with this book. Mm -hmm. So, this book has really shifted some things for me personally, and I think it's very relevant for a lot of human beings. So I'm excited to talk about what it has to teach us about anxiety um, and other like struggles that we have. Yeah. So this, um, I, the premise of the book is that Oliver Berkman is a um, former uh, like, uh, productivity time management. I think he calls himself like a nerd or a geek, right? Yeah. And that he's totally into all of these hacks and strategies for time management and productivity. And so he ends up writing this book that is more philosophy than strategy, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, the way he frames it up is to say that we get very distracted with all of these productivity and time management hacks and strategies and in, and that a lot of that activity and a lot of those behaviors are ways to cope with the anxiety we feel about the limited time that we have in our lives, right? So the 4,000 weeks is like the average lifespan, which is about what, 79 or 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that when we engage in, in this, so, right? So we were talking about avoidance before in managing anxiety, like the all of the stuff that we're doing to try to manage our time and we're kind of missing the point is that we're getting distracted with all of this other day-to-day trying to manage our time. And we're missing the point that what we're really supposed to be focusing on is what to do with our 4,000 weeks. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I think um, for me, there were, there were a number of things that were jumping out and the biggest one, which we can talk a lot about is kind of embracing the fact that our life is finite and how, when we do that, it can be really freeing and how Mm -hmm. we avoid it like crazy because it's so terrifying, right? Which is the premise of everything we've been talking about so far, right? That when we stop avoiding stuff, that's uncomfortable, we, it's very uncomfortable to do that. But when we stop avoiding it, we free ourselves from that, the vicious cycle of, of kind of denying the reality of things. 
Yeah, because in this scenario, our our finite time that we have in this life is the threat itself, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing that per- is perceived as a threat and it creates anxiety for us when we think about it. And that's why some people don't want to talk about, like if your parents are like, all right, we need to talk about the will and what this look, and then we're like, I don't want to talk about that. Or like, mm-hmm. this is what I want to talk about if when I die, I don't want to talk about that, right? There's a lot of avoidance of these topics. And um, yeah, I thought the book was fascinating and very interesting of how um, we just put inadvertently so much pressure on ourselves to spend our time well in quotes and then we end up not spending our time in a way that ever feels good and I think so many people can relate to this very much myself included and I thought I had made progress in this and I think in a little bit I had but um yeah I'll share that like after I read I think I read was listening to this and I, there's a lot of things that like I put pressure on myself to do, but I've gotten better about maybe not doing it as much at work or, you know, there's some things where I'm taking some of the pressure off and, um, but I still, when I have, um, my kiddos at the, our, their grandparents on the weekends for a chunk of time, I put so much pressure on myself to like use that four to six hours really well, or whatever time period it is. I'm like, God, I have to like, <laughs> do some things like to-do list items, but I also like really want to relax and like watch a show or go out to lunch with my husband or, or whatever. And, but it almost inevitably, and I would have so much anxiety about it that I, my first strategy was like, I was like, okay, 10 AM, you're doing this 10 30, you're doing this. And I would Mm. over schedule my time. And it kind of worked because like, I was so anxious that I couldn't like figure out what to do next, if that made sense. But this book really helped me. And now I just like, I just like live my life during that time. And I like do what I want to get, I get some stuff done. And then I like relax a little, or maybe I just relax. And, um, it's very, it was very interesting. I don't know if I was just in a good place to read it at that time, but it's been very freeing and like, yeah. Oh, all right. I'm not going to get everything done. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we might, we might even think about that scheduling. This is what I'm doing at 10. This is what I'm doing at 10 30. That's it's avoidance, right. Of the yeah. anxiety that you were feeling yes. because the avoidance is so much about trying to control stuff that we can't actually control. So right. tr- we're, we get rigid, right? Yeah. And we try to, I, you, I say that when we're trying to avoid things, we're trying to control, predict, plan, anticipate. And what's weird about it, right? Is that so much of that is normalized, mm-hmm. that it seems very normal and natural to do that. And we don't realize the impact that that's having on us is that we're so over-controlled and rigid that we end up creating the very thing that we're trying to avoid, which is that anxiety, right? Because if you're planning on doing this at 10, but you don't get to it at 10, then you end up having more anxiety, right? And then you didn't budget enough time for the thing at 10. So then you're not able to get to the thing at 10 30. And then you, then you start feeling more anxious and you create the very thing that you're right. So we we need to let go of that. (laughs) It's so normalized because yeah, yeah, all these personal examples, but I like, I used to avoid when I was in grad school, I used to avoid like sort of budgeting and finances. Cause I was like, I'm just getting in more debt. Like, I don't really want to look at it. And then I was really proud of myself that I like stopped avoiding. Right. So I don't avoid it anymore. But then during times of stress, I would like almost over-focus on it. Right. Because I'm trying to control. And it was like, not helpful. It was to yep. a point where you're like, yeah, you you're budgeted enough. Like you stop checking it. <laughs> like, yep. 
and, and over controlling something because you just really want to. And it's so interesting to think about it as avoidance. And maybe, maybe a lot of this avoidance stems back to the reality that we only have so much time. Like that's kind of what this book is saying, right? Is like so much of it is like fear of our finitude and fear of death and mortality. And yeah, it was pretty, pretty fascinating. But so that the, like that avoidance um, comes in in that way, right? Where we so focused on not wasting time and then we get overwhelmed with, you know, all the things that we're supposed to be doing that we check out and we end up spending time randomly scrolling on our phone, which is the ultimate, you know, because we're trying to avoid the discomfort we feel about not getting everything done. We're supposed to be getting done. And then we end up doing the very, we end up, you know, literally wasting time mm-hmm. <laughs> doing something we don't want to do because it's a nice distraction. Right. Like I don't need to yeah. be ex- doing extra budgeting or like doing extra, like some simple task around my home, just because I'm so anxious and I can't like do the thing yeah. I actually want to do. Like, yep. I don't really know what it would be, but cleaning out a drawer or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I think so when I kind of moved through, um, just this idea of like the, the benefits, right. Of being able to embrace that finitude and allowing that to be freeing. Um, there were a few things that kind of came to mind. One of them being, um, that when you get real with the idea that your time is limited, when you really do say, all right, I only have 4,000 weeks, right. What you do then is you accept that you really don't have time for everything and you can, you know, choose what's important And you can also choose what to abandon or neglect or disregard, right? So we, we think we have all this time. So I recently, I recently wrote a blog post, you know, kind of on this topic, but like, I want to learn how to play the drums. I want to learn how to speak Italian. I want to learn, right. I have this whole big list, this whole big list. Mm -hmm. And in reality, if I'm after like, while I was going through reading this book, I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able to visit all the places I want to visit. I'm not going to develop all the skills I want. I'm not going to be able to read all the books that I want. There is literally not enough time for me to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm getting real with myself, I have to say, if I really want to learn how to play the drums, then I should learn how to play the drums. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, and I, or like you, you look at your list and you prioritize the things that you really want to do and you make time for those mm-hmm. and, or people, the people that you want to spend time with, you make time for those people. And it also gives you permission to say, I'm doing this and this and this and this and this, and I really don't care about those things. Yeah. So can you give yourself permission to disengage from those things? And you're, because you're doing them because you think you should, you're doing them because you think what other people, right. You don't Mm -hmm. embrace your body because your body is supposed to look a certain way and you're in the gym all the time. And you're, you know, you're feeling badly about yourself. You give yourself permission to let go of that because that's not really how you want to be spending your time. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Were there, like, I think that's the, one of the harder places things, right? Like to to prioritize something, you have to deprioritize something. And Mm -hmm. so what, how do you determine what to abandon, neglect and disregard? Right. Because that's not easy. Mm -hmm. And I think some of it is like, if you go through, um, just kind of like a rough sketch of, right. We're all doing, we're all doing things we don't want to do. And some of those things we do not have a choice about, right? Like I would really rather not pay my taxes. I don't have a choice in that. I'm going to, you know, so you have to pay them. Um, So there's plenty of things that we have that we don't want to do that we have to do, but there's tons of things that we're doing that we don't want to be doing. And so if you just start with broad strokes and pick one thing off of that list that you can 
you know, with a little bit of emotional discomfort, get rid of, mm-hmm. you know, and you mm-hmm. start, you start with the easiest ones, start with a low hanging fruit, yes. the things that are easiest to disengage from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I have, um, mine is typically, uh, not cleaning as much <laughs> and mm-hmm. I don't clean very much. as it is, So it's <laughs> a pretty big mess over here, but, um, I don't know, there's only so much time and I have other things to attend yeah. to right now. And it's just going to be a mess for a bit for yeah. now. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the other ones that make me come to mind for perhaps our listeners is like recording calories on my fitness bell. Many people that are listening have already abandon that. Um, but you know, asking yourself like, what am I really getting out of this? Or like you said, going and doing a workout that you truly hate because you feel like you should, that would be another example, spending time with people that you really don't enjoy spending time with and are very draining Mm -hmm. on you. That Mm -hmm. could be a big, not only time suck, but also emotional energy suck. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just kind of brainstorming out loud what people might be thinking. And people probably know inherently too, if they look at, mm-hmm. and certainly probably scrolling on social media is probably a big one that most of us fall into or like mindless Netflix watching. Yep. Um, that one is rooted in avoidance most of yep. the time. Not always, maybe not, well, not when it's like your favorite show and you really are showing up to watch mm-hmm. it, but. A lot of it is the right, like just starting to, I think just starting to ask the question, do I really want to be doing this? just kind of yeah. casually as you go through your day and like, how would this time be better spent? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. just starting to be curious about how that shows up as you go through your day and perhaps allowing yourself to get, you know, disengage from some of the things that you, or even thinking about the things that you regret spending time doing, right? Like, again, this, we keep kind of coming back to this, but this mindless scrolling, right. Mm-hmm. That, um, where do you, I don't know, set some kind of limit on how much that you're doing that. Or I, I sometimes will catch myself reaching for it for no reason. Um, and trying to catch yourself to interrupt yourself from doing that because that's, we've all done that, right? We pick it up for one reason. You go to, you go to check an email and you click over to some, to an app and you end up scrolling and it's 20 minutes later, right? And that's, we're not going to get back and you've got nothing out of that. You might actually, feel worse or feel bad about yourself after having (laughs) right given our earlier example. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 And not criticizing yourself for that because it's like that those apps are designed very well Mm -hmm. to help us do that. And, and I like that low hanging fruit, right. It doesn't have to be. And that's, I think the, the thing that at least many of us do, and I know I do like, okay, I have to spend my time better. Okay. Sean and Julie are saying I have to spend my time better. Ah, I got to do all these things. Like mm-hmm. you can actually, and that's kind of what I've done with my, my free time now. It's like, I'm like, I take a more like relaxed approach and it feels really nice. And mm-hmm. I really am in the moment more with like the time that I do have. So yeah, you, you can have is, that immediately potentially. It's okay to ask yourself or it's two things. It's okay to ask yourself, do I really want to be doing this right now? And if the answer is no, then you're allowed to disengage from that thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And -hmm. you're also able to say like, what do I actually want to be doing right now? And give yourself permission to do that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I know it seems like such a simple concept. It's wild though, because of all the shoulds that we put on ourselves for what we should be doing. And mm -hmm. yeah, so much pressure, particularly on women. As we talk about this podcast, it's not like men don't have the shoulds, but 
women have more mm-hmm. <laughs> objectively. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about that book? We're going to talk a little bit about this next, next point you and I were going to talk about, but anything else about 4,000 weeks that you really want to highlight? It was so good. And yeah. I'm going to, I'll just give a couple other tips, things I took yes. away. Yes. One is um, being able to prioritize your own needs, wants, and preferences over those that others place on you. And this kind of comes back to that idea of the should. So I'm not saying that we don't care about other people. And I'm not saying that we're not going to be kind and we're not going to be considerate about, you know, what other people want, need, and think. Um, but I just find that myself and a lot of my clients, right, we are in this space where we are prioritizing what other people think and want and need over what we think and want and need. And we, you know, prioritize that stuff over what we need to our own detriment. Mm -hmm. And if we start to realize that we only have X amount of time, right, and you really kind of embrace that fact, then it becomes a little bit intolerant or we start to become intolerant or it becomes intolerable to be spending our time sacrificing what we actually want and need for what other people are placing on us. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely, you know, especially those of you with little ones, they definitely need things from you. And sometimes you have to put <laughs> what they need ahead of your own needs. Right. Yes. Like, so that's a thing. And that of course has to still happen, but there's lots of times when we are, it's this people pleasing kind of behavior, right? We fall into this trap of like, I don't want to say no, cause I don't want to hurt their feelings. And then you agree to do something you don't really want to do. And mm-hmm. yeah. So if you're, if your time is really limited and you're really owning that, um, then it becomes a little easier to, you know, prioritize what you need. Yeah. And I think to um, your point, having kiddos just actually, it did initially put more pressure on all of this, but you can turn that pressure into potentially a good thing. (laughs) At least that's what I've tried to do, which is like, yikes, these little ones need me. (laughs) And, and I'm not actually showing up as the best version of myself Mm. right now. And so it's even more important that I figure out how the heck to do that. And that means cutting out some other things. And so, um, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but pretty, pretty, like, like you said, liberating and freeing too, when you're like, just painful to, yeah. to realize that th- this is the time we have. And with little ones, you're like, they're only this age one time. So it's actually almost increases it each, yeah. each phase. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, the other one was you can um, start letting go of FOMO because mm-hmm. you're always going to be missing out on something because you're not going to be able to do everything. So, yeah. right. Like just yeah. being okay with missing out on things. Cause if, if, if I'm not going to be able to play the drums and learn how to bake sourdough and learn Italian and do right. Like I'm going to have to give something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to do that dil- diligently and on purpose, right. And make mm-hmm. choices about, and just be okay with missing out on things because we can't possibly be there for all of it. Yeah. You have a big list. I'm curious how you're going to prioritize your list. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'm, I'm glad I'm having this, uh, <laughs> these reflections. Yeah. And that's a good point too. Like, it's not like you're like, I, I have it, this, 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 no, you don't have to have that. Yeah. And it, so, yeah, I think that in yeah. itself is a good point. And yeah, it's freeing to be like, eh, I'm going to miss out on yeah. stuff because yep. I'm not missing out on other stuff. Correct. Yep. The, the, the whole point of it, right. Is that if you choose what to prioritize, then you're making sure you're not missing out on the stuff that's most important to you. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to miss out on other things. Right. Yep. No. So I love the book. I'm so glad you loved it too. I'm actually launching a book club in the fall and this is going to be our first pick. Mm, Um, Okay. Yeah. 
So I just realized this is actually going to be more in the fall. So the July we might miss, but yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll link to it all for sure. Great. Um, awesome. Yes. The book is amazing. And this next point that we're going to talk about, this book actually made me think of this um, article that someone had sent me a New York times article. And it had the quote diet culture is just fear of death disguised as transformation. So you had Mm -hmm. some thoughts about this too. So let's chat about it. Yeah. So it's so much about this idea of not being able to control things. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I hadn't read that article before you sent it to me. So I read it in anticipation of our conversation today. And, um, it, it's so much about this concept of avoidance and control, right? Mm -hmm. So if we don't like the way our, our bodies look, or then we want to try to control that. We want to try to avoid that. We want to try to change that. And diet culture gives us a very, like a huge vehicle to be able to do that in a way that's yeah. really detrimental to us. Right. As right. most avoidance is. Yes. Yeah. 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 I thought that was fascinating. We can link to that article in, in the show notes because it just, it all comes back to, I don't, I, I want to avoid the sense that I can't control my body. So I'm going to try to control it. I'm going to try to be as healthy as possible. And that's where you see the rigidity and like pursuing health goals, right. Or people, even if they say it's not about weight loss, which, you know, many times it is, but let's say it's not right. There's a orthorexias could, you know, focus on being perfectly healthy with our eating may or may not be specifically about weight loss, but it's still avoidance very much. So yeah, the way I look to see if it's avoidance or not is if oftentimes the, um, we know it's avoidance or not, if the intention beneath the behavior is designed to, um, make that feeling go away. So we have this feeling of distress and the behavior that we're engaging in, if we're engaging in that, to try to make that distressing feeling go away, it's avoidance right? Mm -hmm. The, the behavior itself is not always avoidance. Sometimes the behavior can be very healthy. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause I think sometimes it's complicated, right? So like sometimes like, so our family has genetic risk of cancer. They've talked about this on the podcast. And so that's scary, right? It's terrifying because that applies to many of us. And And one thing that I can do that I can feel empowered and good about is like make more plant predominant meals. And I feel really good about that, but sometimes it's feels more like avoidance and, and running from that fear of mortality. And other times it feels more like just like a really empowered choice. It's really never about shaping my body anymore. So that's nice. Right. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm really unhooked from that, but there's still an element of like, and it's not always totally clear. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had a moment in the past couple of weeks where I was feeling anxious about, um, actually I've had skin cancer in my head. And sometimes I'll, if I'm more anxious, I'll be like, ah, is it, it, am I getting a spot that's skin cancer? And I'm like, well, I just make myself a good meal tonight because I'm like, I don't know what else to do with this anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that's avoidance. And I think naming that it's not a like, I don't have to beat myself up about it. And I, I mostly don't, I think I like joked with a friend, like, well, it's something I can control, but it's, it's not always that super clear cut. So I wanted to share that in case that someone's like, I don't know what it is. It's, it feels like both. Yep. The other thing I'll say too, is like, sometimes I have lots of clients where they realize they're avoiding and 
you know, the, and the awareness of that is really great. And sometimes we can still make the choice to do that. Right. It's not mm-hmm. like every single time you're doing it out of avoidance you, and this comes back to that rigidity. We don't want to be rigid about it. Like sometimes mm-hmm. that's the, that's the coping tool that you're going to employ in that, in that moment. And it, you know, I don't know, you might, you might regret it after the fact you might feel worse for, you know, trying to avoid it after the, after the fact, but in the moment, that's, that's the choice that you're going to make. And so just being aware that that's what you're doing, I think can be really powerful. Yeah. And maybe for things that are really important and, and perhaps very painful, but need to be felt, you have to at least make sure that you go back to that at some point, maybe Mm -hmm. you don't right then, but maybe at some point you're like, I got to sit with this. This is scary and that's okay. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm learning a lot in our conversation. (laughs) Um, yeah. Anything before we move on to our motivation questions at the end here, any final takeaways or things that you want to make sure people take home from this, this link, what we're talking about with anxiety and avoidance? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I focus on with clients a lot is being able to just kind of echoing that idea that we were talking about before that so much of what we're doing to try to change how we feel and so much we're doing to try to change how we look, um, that we really want to just increase awareness around the fact that we're doing that and that that actually causes us a lot of distress and that that's kind of the, that's the target, um, for being able to pull back from some of that and to accept that you are where you are today right now, that does not mean that you can't have goals, you know, in future, but, um, the more that we criticize ourselves in this moment, and the more that we beat ourselves up for where we are right now, um, kind of prevents us from being able to get where we want to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we can get in our way, we can get so much in our own way, um, with a lot of those behaviors and, and it's, and it, I always try to empower my clients to see that these things are within their control. And, um, and I, I'm hesitant to use that word control, but right. To be able to, they can impact those things in an empowering way so that mm-hmm. they can feel differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah. can catch themselves before they mm-hmm. jump to the avoidance and learn to sit in that space. And that could be via mindfulness or therapy or journaling Mm -hmm. or there's a lot of different ways that they could choose to do that, but they can make some steps in that direction. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds good. So yeah, we'll move on to our motivation questions. And, um, the first thing we want to know is what is one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for you do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior. Like you enjoy it, find it challenging and or satisfying any of those inherent, um, Mm -hmm. feelings from the behavior itself. So I have a, I have a bunch, but I think the one that might be helpful to talk about is actually baking sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have wanted to do this for ages and steered clear of it because, um, it's really hard. <laughs> I have I have not done it. <laughs> it's really, it's really it? involved. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. a very involved process. So I, um, before the pandemic, I know a lot of people got into this, um, during COVID, but um, I started my sourdough starter from scratch in um, December of 19. And um, what, so you, to make a 
um, loaf of sourdough bread, it actually takes like 18 hours um, to, yeah, because you add, you know, you add your flour to the starter and then you let it sit. And then there's these periods of waiting where their dough is rising and you're doing all these different steps. Right. Um, and it's, it's, so it's, it's very involved and it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of downtime, but it's a lot of things that you're monitoring and checking and whatever. And Mm -hmm. if you're going through this whole process and you get an inedible loaf of bread, like, you know, the first loaf I made was like, I don't know, two inches tall, right. It didn't (laughs) rise. And it was thick as a brick. Like you could have murdered somebody if you'd clubbed them (laughs) with that loaf. And so I'm like, why? And for, for ages and ages, I had resisted doing this because why would I even bother doing this? Because anything I'm going to create is not worth, is not going to be nearly as delicious as what I could buy from the bakery around the corner. Right. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered though, is that it's so rewarding. I have had one perfect loaf and I'm not even sure what I did. I'm not even sure why it came out so perfect. And I have not been able to recreate it that (laughs) well since. Yeah. Um, but the process of learning about it and, um, the house smelling like, um, freshly baked bread Hmm. and just, you know, going through this whole process of learning it for the sake of learning it, Mm -hmm. learning the science, going through this process of like feeding your starter regularly. It's like a living thing. And it's like a presence in our house now, (laughs) you know, and it's got to really understand what does it mean a starter? I've heard so many people say that, like, what is it? So you, you start it with, it's a, it's living bacteria Uh and it, and you have to feed, um, feed it flour and water, um, in order for those bacteria to live. And the bacteria is what allows your, your loaf to rise. So there's no yeast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. (laughs) Very weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, um, so yeah, it was like the perfectionism made it so you yep. didn't really ever start it, but then once you started it, there was like an inherent, really intrinsic love of it. Yep. I could not start doing this until I had done so much of my own work uh-huh. to get past the, that perfectionism uh-huh. in order to try it and, and do it. Cause I'm not, I'm, I've given up on this idea that I'm going to make a loaf consistently as beautiful as you get in your corner bakery. Right. Because yeah, that's not actually the point now. Right. right. The point is I make some of my bread is very, very good. The flavor is really good. I figured out how to get this good crust. I figured out how to get, um, you know, my night, a nice rise most of the time. Um, yeah. so the bread is good. not as good as, you know, an artisan baker, but, um, but not the point. The point is the process. The point is the enjoyment of, of it and learning all these other cool things that I've learned. I can't tell you how many sourdough books I've read, you know, it's just oh taking gosh, up a huge cool. like presence in our house, you know, that's so fun. And actually in, wasn't that in the 4,000 weeks book where they talked about hobbies, where they don't have like, we are not supposed to be good at it and how that can like take the pressure off of it for people. I thought that was really interesting and, and what, which totally makes sense. And we talk about it all the time on the podcast, like pressure and extrinsic shoulds yep. Yep. rob us of joy and intrinsic love. And, um, you're like, I'm just doing it for the sake of it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it, occasionally it turns out perfect. A lot of times it turns out great. And sometimes it probably turns out terrible. And, yeah. um, but it, that's not the point. It's not about the outcome. It's about the process. Correct. Fun. I love yeah. that. And <laughs> you'll have to show me a picture of the starter. Cause I'm like, I can, I'm sure just Google it. But <laughs> I've heard so many people say that. I'm like, sounds kind of weird. <laughs> it looks like, um, like bubbly pudding. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it has, and that's where it gets your, your sour smell. Okay. So it has a fresh kind of sour smell because oh. it's, a, it's alive. That's right. It's very fascinating. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Awesome. Um, and so next question is from a should to a choose to. So our integrated motivation question, what is one example of a behavior that was always a should for you? You used to struggle to do it, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently because you value it and or it's part of your identity, even if you don't always love it. Yep. So I love this question because, um, and it ties directly into a lot of what we've been talking about, but it's, it's exercise and movement for me. Mm-hmm. It was a should for so long so long. Right. And I was doing it because I wanted to lose weight. I was doing it because not, I mean, I guess for health reasons, but not really. It was just because I ate something I shouldn't have eaten. And so now I must work out because I have to undo that. Right. That would be avoidance. That would be, um, trying to control something that I, you know, like just that rigidity around. So being able to, Mm -hmm. um, work out and exercise because I am a person who takes care of my body. Yeah. I am a person who wants to live fully and explore the world and be able to be able to do that in my body. Right. Like I want to be able to go hiking on a challenging hike whenever I want. Um, I feel good after I work out and Mm. it's uh, for me, it started um, with a, honestly a practice of, and I can only see this in hindsight, cause I didn't realize this was happening at the time, but I decided that for five minutes a day, I was going to do something for my body and it didn't have to be cardio. It didn't have to be weightlifting. It didn't have to be any, it could be five minutes. Cause a lot of times what happens, right. It's like, if I didn't have time for a 20 or 30 minute workout, then it wasn't worth doing anything because I don't have 20 minutes. Well, so I challenged that idea with just, I need to do five minutes for my body every day. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be related to any kind of weight loss or body improvement. It could simply be stretching. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would give myself a gold star for doing that, uh-huh. like on a calendar, right? uh-huh. like an actual physical gold star. <laughs> and, nice. and, and if I missed a day, which yeah. I inevitably did this, is my recovering perfectionist, right. But yep. if I missed a day, it's okay because I can try again tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And I can get my star tomorrow. So I don't have to have a perfect streak, yeah. but I'm going to shoot for every day. And what happened is that five minutes became very consistent. And I became very proud of myself for getting five minutes a day. And then that five minutes turned into more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Some days it's still just five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Some days it's 45 minutes. Some days it's an hour and a half. Some days it's, you know, whatever it is. Some days it's yoga. Some days it's weightlifting. Some days it's cardio. Some days it's hiking in a stretch. Sometimes it's just a five minute stretch. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just stretched my hip flexors for five minutes. That's worth getting a gold star. And what happened as I did that consistently over time is I became a person who took care of her body, right? I became a person who did something for my body every single day. Mm-hmm. And to your point in the body of the question, right, is learning to have this be something that you do as a part of your identity about who you are mm-hmm. and not something that you need to correct about yourself. Because mm-hmm. exercise had always been about trying to fix something that was wrong with me to undo something I had eaten or all of that negativity and being able to shift it away from that um, was life-changing. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just, it's that very small daily commitment. Yeah. And it also, it also builds this ability for you to, this actually goes into something else I think we may talk about, but starting to trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. So for me, I had always said, well, I'm going to work out and then I wouldn't work out or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is what my clients say this all the time. I used to say this. I don't say this anymore. I'm going to be so good today. I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to write, I'm going to eat clean, all these things. And then, you know, of course we have a mistake, quote unquote Mm -hmm. mistake. We screw up, we eat something we're not supposed to eat. And then it's that black and white thinking our whole day is shot now. Yeah. Right. Um, just all of toxic kind of thinking that just derails us from that. So being able to say, I'm going to do five minutes a day and then to actually do five minutes a day to reward myself for doing that and to forgive myself on the days that I missed and to pick it back up the very next day, Mm -hmm. like life changing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think there's so like, so there's the piece of like unhooking from the body shape, weight loss focus, right? Because that's, that is avoidance. I want to not feel bad about my body. So I'm exercising, but it's this avoidance cycle that we talked about. So unhooking from that is crucial. And then setting up systems that work for you, which is like setting smaller goals for you, the gold star was rewarding, right? And like setting a system that you could see. And so setting up some systems that build that competence and sense of effectiveness, and then that can build that actual internal. And then it sounds like it was gradual, like maybe not immediately starting to be like, but gradual shift in belief of like, I'm someone who takes care of myself and I'm someone who follows through on my commitments to myself. And I trust myself to do that. And if I miss a day, I'll do it again soon. Yeah. And also not increasing that five minutes minimum and like that requirement Mm -hmm. is very important, right? Like I'm not trying to eventually get to 30 minutes every day. Yeah. That's that's not going to happen. There are some days when it's bananas and I'm not going to get 30 minutes in. And so five being okay. And honestly believing that five minutes is sufficient enough for a gold star. Yeah. Like that was big. Do you still give yourself stars? I do. I have a thing on my, um, fridge. Oh my gosh. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, it's one sheet of paper that has every month broken up into, so January is in block letters and it's, um, separated out into 31 blocks and I will color in, um, (laughs) the block for the day, um, on my fridge. So I have the whole year on there and I have, I did miss one day of one white block because I missed it. I forgot it got away from me and I was like, damn it. I completely forgot, <laughs> right? I missed it. Um, yes. But honestly, the fact that every day since then has been colored in because I got at least five minutes a day in mm-hmm. um, means that that one white block is, it's totally fine. You know, yeah. it's not a failure. It's, it's the fact that I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's about finding the system that like appeals to each individual personality, right? Like not, yeah, you could do that chart and that works for you. And that's amazing. But yeah, maybe for, cause I know for me, it's like, I have different systems and I've yep. struggled with consistent exercise, but it's, we have to unhook from that, yep. that unhealthy loop first, or, or we don't have to, but it certainly helps for the systems to actually stick. Yep. Awesome. I love that. Um, Okay. So the last question is a main part of our mission here on this podcast is teaching women to reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageous and connected lives. Can you share a few examples of living more courageously or building connection that you're proud of? Yeah. I think the one that is most helpful to me and 
um, that is very helpful to clients, right? Is this what we're kind of talking about is unhooking that connection with, because I've, I've developed a very healthy connection to my body through, um, I'm a runner um, and obviously going through yoga training helped me to build that connection. And it's also though, I've realized that going through that process of being able to, and this is only the competition with myself, right? Like it's eliminating that comparison with other people. But when I run consistently and sometimes my, my mile time is a little faster than it was before. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I'm in the gym and I can curl 15 pound weights up from my 10 pound dumbbells. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling pretty bad. Right. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. um, pretty strong. Yeah. If I'm able to get deeper into a posture in yoga, or I'm able to like, you know, reach and wrap my hand around my toes <laughs> when before I was at my knee, right? Like when I can see that progress, that there is confidence that comes from going from 10 to 15 pound dumbbells. There's, there's confidence that comes from being able to, you know, um, go deeper into a posture or deeper into a stretch and having that confidence translate out of the gym or off of the mat into your actual life. That has been absolutely transformative for me. And like being able to see my clients kind of embrace their bodies where they are, accept their bodies where they are, you know, and, and go into the gym and kind of create this connection with their physical body and, allow that confidence that they're building in that physical sense to just beautifully bleed out into their parenting and their work life and their relationship with their partner and just how they view themselves outside of the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been huge for me. And it's really cool to see, uh, you know, that happen for other people too. Yes. Yeah. Exercise really, or any exercise or any form of movement is really such an amazing way to like work through backlog of stressors and work through like our own psychological stuff, right? Like it kind of shows up and then, but sometimes it's easier when you're moving, um, to sort of like notice, Oh, look at that thought showed up. All right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then kind of recommit to your body and not pushing yourself too hard. There's so many elements that, and unfortunately for many people, exercise has become so tied up with weight loss and it just like, doesn't become that comp competence builder really, or we don't have great systems to set up to help people in a variety of body sizes feel effective with exercise. Okay. So that could be tough too. But anyways, yes, I love that. I love that example. I think that's very, very essential. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was really fun and, um, tell people where they can learn more about the work that you're doing and connect with you. Yeah. So it's pretty simple. Um, the way, uh, the way is root to flourish.com. Um, and I'm also root to flourish on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all the same. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Julia King. It was a pleasure talking with you today. Yeah, this is lovely. Thanks for the invite. You got it. Thank you for listening today and for showing up for yourself. If you are ready to ditch the diet mentality, build sustainable, healthy habits, take great care of your body, and build a life you truly love, then I have some great news for you. The doors for the Body Respect Program are now open for enrollment. This innovative program 
is unlike anything else out there. It will help you unlearn diet mentality BS, learn to truly work with your body instead of against it, and help you show up as the person you were meant to be. If you're ready to dive deeper and get the support you truly deserve, go to drhondorp.com forward slash course, or click on the link in the show notes to sign up and get more information about the program, current bonus offerings, and to join the community today. That's drhondorp.com forward slash course. It's time to stop dieting and start living. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.